And apologies that I'm not Nadine. Some of you are expecting Nadine from Tear Fun. She's next week, it turns out. Um, and you'd probably far rather hear Rachel. Anyway, carry on. I probably would, to be perfectly honest. Um, love listening to Rachel. And indeed, all of these stories which remind us of the thing that she said, which has become a little bit of a mantra for me, and I know others here. Uh, and it was Alan Scott who, from whom I first heard it. Uh, and he came as a 50-year-old, Alan, who led, lead, or used to lead a, ch- a Causeway Coast vineyard in, in Ireland. And uh, he stood here quite a few years ago now, and he said, I'm 50 and I've only learned two things, that life is tough, but that God is good. And uh, whilst we don't want to be oversimplistic and over-reductionist, at times it's really, really helpful to have a few anchors to hold on to, or rather that hold us. And frankly, that has become one of mine. Uh, And I've learned something more of the reality behind those words uh, in the last few years, and I hope that's true for for all of us. So stories are really, really good, aren't they? Uh, Stories of things that have been tough that we've just heard, but where God in his goodness has come come through. Uh, Am I allowed to add to the list just a little bit? Um, Because it feels like a little bit of a what? I'm Tim, by the way. haven't seen you for a while. (laughs) Um, That's because November is my least favorite month, so I try and escape it as much as possible. Too many memories of teaching at the college where they used to switch around the the winter timetable and the kids did activities activities while it was light, and then between four and six, they'd go back into the classroom. And, and, and just awful memories of trying to teach French to hormonal 15-year-olds who had just come off the rugby pitch, and they were tired, and it was 5.30 on a dark Friday night, and so November just kind of holds some horrors. So um, Hills and I have been super blessed to have been uh, away for a bit um, in California, staying with friends more recently, and then, of course, prior to that, uh, the, the Kenya uh, experience, and you may be a little bit, oh no, not Kenya again, can't we hear about something else? Because I know a little bit's been shared, but uh, if I may indulge, because I haven't been here for a while. And this is about God, not us. Um, so, so I think you heard that one of the beautiful experiences that we had was to go into a prison, uh, slightly unexpectedly, and certainly unexpectedly to find ourselves faced with about 120, 130 prisoners, all in their stripy pyjamas. And, um, and a particular, couple of particular stories for me, one memory I will always treasure was that the man who came forward as we began to get messy after the messages and the formal bit, you know, we got a bit messy and we invited them forward and we started praying and hugging and so on. To hug a, an old man who'd been in that prison for many, many years because he'd done something very, very bad, uh, who had severe headaches as a permanent condition. And to find him in a very un-Kenyan way, frankly, crying, just sobbing, 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 holding this man, ministering the grace and love of Father God to him, the headaches uh, seeped away. So by the time that we'd finished, the headaches had completely gone. And this man was calling on the name of Jesus for, for the first time. Really beautiful, precious kind of way of seeing God come through in very tough places. There was another woman there who said, uh, I've just come from Nairobi. Uh, I came to this town, Narok, where, where we were, did something very bad and um, ended up here, quite rightly, she said. Um, and the previous week, she had found herself committing her life to Jesus. I don't know how that had come about. She didn't say. But in that moment, she said, and what I really need now, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the grace of God. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live, to survive, to, and to be a blessing in this place, in the prison. And so we were able to pray for her. And, and that also happened. And the, and the transformation and the radiance on this woman, and she began preaching, much like Rachel does, you know, uh, sort of just preaching to the prisoners. There was a prison guard who felt led to, to, as a Christian to sing a worship song over the, the prisoners whom he guards. 
um, in a beautiful moment. There was a, uh, I was called by the prison chaplain to, to gather around um, some of the evangelists. These are folks who had also come to faith in the prison and now wanted to be the bearers of good news and especially of hope in a very grim uh, place. So I think, that, yes, there's a picture there. Those are the, evan- the prison evangelists, and uh, it was such a blessing to be able to pray with them. So many beautiful things. And then uh, the flavor of the week, as I think you might have, have picked up, was very much... Uh, having the chance to wander around some areas of, uh, in, in rural spots where there's not much electricity, very often not much water, hut-to-hut evangelism, we might call it. Just, that, that would be a typical scene. Very beautiful, by the way, uh, but, but very poor. And uh, help to uh, j- just bring something of the light and love of Jesus, something of the hope to those who already have some faith, to pray, to encourage. And for the many who don't, uh, just to speak something of, of what we've experienced of Jesus ourselves in, in, in normal ways, just alongside the local team, um, uh, clergy and others and, and leaders and so on, and then to help to get a, a church going, uh, which, uh, as Andrew prayed, uh, that, that happened two, two Sundays ago. So they'll be meeting right now, and we, I've enjoyed that we've prayed for them. So God is good, uh, and, and he, he has all of these stories, don't they? They speak of his fierce, fierce, fierce love and heart to bless us. Some of us still have a problem with that word uh, because it feels a little bit self-indulgent. It feels a little bit me-oriented, God doing things for me. Friends, we have to get over that. Yes, we are to be channels of blessing, just as the, the Sea of Galilee receives at the top from the Jordan and flows out. So as we receive, we give. Absolutely. But we haven't got a lot to give unless we receive. And God wants us to receive again and again and again and again. And he's not a pie God. Where you, where you get a segment and I get a segment and then it runs out because there's not enough for the next person. No, he's an infinite God of grace. Amen. And so there's so much blessing. There's so much in his fierce heart of love towards us that he wants us to grab a hold of and to, to move in and to steward well and to be equipped for because life is tough. Everybody in the room will be able to easily to identify with something that's not easy in, in your environment at the moment. Something that we're going to give a brief bit of consideration to uh, this morning um, along this theme that uh, we're doing a walking with God. And what a beautiful image that, that is, by the way. Uh, let's be pondering and, and reflecting and meditating on what it is to walk with God and, and for God to be walking with us. Um, there's all kinds of richness to that, and, and I won't get distracted in this moment. But um, part, part of the way that that happens, by the way, is to step outside of uh, comfort zones. Again, some of the stories here, and, and one or two that I've just told, Growth tends to happen, we tend to make progress, we tend to be taking next steps, don't we, outside of the arenas which are already comfortable. Uh, not always, but I think that's, that's typically true, and so our comfort zones actually expand a bit. That's the whole point, isn't it? And so we have to travel a bit further as we get a little bit more confident to find those places of, of challenge where God will use them to grow us. And that might look like a mission trip. Of course it might. That might well look like uh, choosing to accept one of those opportunities. We've got a bunch of them coming up next year, which we're working on. Uh, Or it might be just hearing that nudge to pray with a person in the supermarket. Or it might actually just be um, hanging in there when life is really, really tough and choosing to bring God into that rather than not. Because sometimes it's just easier to sort of ditch that in, a, in, our, in our doubt and our fragility. That, that can in, in itself be a tough choice, a challenging choice, something outside of what is comfortable to do. I'm going to choose in this moment to praise you even though everything in my body doesn't want to do that or come even to a gathering like this, even though it would be more comfortable and, you know, to, to stay at home or you know, kick the cat. <laughs> lots, of, um, 
lots of decisions that we make. I wonder how many decisions, by the way, you've made, you think you've made today? Bit of a trivial question, doesn't really matter, but I wonder how many decisions you think you've already made today. Uh, some, Mr. Google, that old friend of ours, he reckons we, we make about 35,000 a day, depending on how, of course, you define uh, decisions, those things that, that, are, that we're conscious of or semi-conscious of. Did we pick Marmite or Marmalade? That was probably a semi-conscious choice. That was whether we kicked the cat, that could have been an unconscious choice. I, I don't know. Um, you know, you, you picked your parking spot, um, you picked your neighbour here, you picked your nose, wh whatever. You, how many decisions have, have we made? I think God is wanting to, to help us in our decision-making. Decisions, of course, are monstrously important. It's totally obvious to say that. John Maxwell, great leader guru, he says this, life is a matter of choices. When it, when it boils down to it, life is just a matter of choices. Small ones, big ones, regular ones, 35,000 of them every day, and every choice that you make makes you. Stephen Covey put it a slightly different way. This will be familiar. Sow a thought, reap a decision. So a decision, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a, a character, reap a destiny or a life, we might say. And it stands to reason, doesn't it? As we boil it all down, there, life just consists of endless amounts of decisions. Of course, the Bible, the wisdom of God, got there long before Stephen Covey or John Maxwell or anybody else. Proverbs 4.23, in a particular translation, reads like this. Be careful. Pay a lot of attention to how you think, because your thoughts, which then lead to your decisions, which lead to your actions, which lead to your character and your life, well, they run your life. So decision-making, of course, is utterly fundamental to how life goes for us. Rather an obvious thing to say, but I want to draw attention to it for this reason. God wants us to be confident in our decision-making. First broad point I'm going to say. Got a couple of broad things, then I'm going to dial down to something a bit more focused, but I'm going to move fast. So God wants us to be confident in those decisions. Whatever kind of temperament you have, and of course we all love the Myers-Briggs stuff and the personality stuff, and we'll have our different ways of making decisions. I come from quite a large family, as you know, and on one end of the scale we certainly have representatives in the family who find decisions very hard. So the business of buying shoes, for example, is not straightforward. We go into the first place, where we see what we like, but we're not quite sure, so we might need to go and find 37 other places to look until we decide that actually that first place, no, that probably was the right pair of shoes, so we buy them. Until we then return them a week later because we discover that we're not quite sure there might be something better about them. There's more anti-shopping in my family than actual shopping, it turns out. And then in the other, on the other end of the spectrum, there's a member of the family who, frankly, decisions can't be made quickly enough. So we, we need shoes, right? We quick, click on Amazon, click, 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 pay the credit card or dad's credit card. And, then, and there are the shoes and they're delivered and job done. And now we can, you know, what's for supper? So we're not talking about what kind of decision maker you are necessarily. You'll, you'll fall somewhere along that spectrum. But that we need to have a conviction that God needs to be involved, walking with God. If it means anything, it means involving him in every part of our lives. And fundamentally, he wants us to be confident in the decisions that we're going to make. To do that, of course, b big point two, again, fairly obvious, means cooperating with our creator. It means recognizing that we're made in a particular way by a loving Father God to operate, live, according to his design. I did that classic blokey thing a few years ago when we changed cars, driving along uh, the M5, I think it was, fairly near here, put some petrol in, car began to stutter as we went round the road, and I'm suddenly thinking, oh, I've changed my vehicle. 
I've now got a diesel vehicle, haven't I? Not a petrol one. And in my absent-minded, I put petrol in the, in, the, in the tank, and the consequences, you can imagine, you, if you've been there, you know what happens. Because that car was not designed to run on that. That car was designed to run on, on diesel. Obvious point, we're designed in a particular way by a great and amazing designer who's interested in our, in our success in life. It's amazing that I keep needing to remind myself of this, but how foolish are we when we ignore that design? How foolish are we when we, we somehow manage to forget that that's the case and, and do life in a different way and pay less and less attention to the way he wants to bless us, which includes all of the decisions and the choices. I'm not talking about Marmite or Marmalade. I don't think he's that interested in that one, but the meaningful ones at least. The things which begin to have an influence on us and others and begin to form who we are and how we go about relating to the world and whether we do end up succeeding in life. And I fully appreciate that some of us might be thinking, well, hang on a minute, Tim, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens to us which are not our decisions, which impact our life. Of course there are. I'm not diminishing any of that. Of course there are huge numbers of things that just happened because that's life. But we still, by the way, have choices, don't we? And decisions to make about how we then respond to those things. I think it was Viktor Frankl, prisoner of war, who said, the one, I was denied every freedom in the prisoner of war camp, but the one freedom I could not be denied was the decisions I made about the attitude that I then brought to that difficult situation. And in that sense, he said, I will not see myself as a victim. Challenging thing to say. So operating according to the Father's instruction, the, the design of, of God, how do we make decisions? How do we know the, the will of God for our life? Or, or, or the, the kind, how, do we, uh, how do we get blessed in our decision-making? I remember going to, uh, running a youth group many years ago in a different church, and we ran some seminars, and one of them was called Knowing the Will of God, or How to Make Decisions According to God's Plan, or something like that. And I remember somebody saying to me, Tim, it doesn't matter what other seminars you put on. You can put any number of other seminars you like. If you call a seminar How to Know the Will of God, everybody will go to that one. I think that's probably right, actually, because we really want to know that, don't we? We really want to know, how, to hear God's voice and, and to, to have help in knowing, understanding what his will is. There'll be a whole bunch of us in the room who have done the um, Alpha course. Spoiler alert coming up, sorry. Uh, and you might remember that there's a session in the Alpha course, or at least there was the last time I looked. It may have been refined or varied or whatever. But there is a session along these lines. How do I... How do I hear from God, not hear from God, how, how, how do I understand the will of God? What contributes to that? And they may be a little bit clunky, but they certainly used to be, I don't know if they still are, five uh, categories, and they all began with CS. And there's one which was about the com commanding scripture. Clearly, friends, if we're not, like, I think I wasn't here last week, but Andrew preached, and, and Rachel was just reminded, if we're not reading our Bibles, we won't grow. I'm just going to say it as, as bluntly as that. We will not grow. If you're not reading your Bible on a regular basis in order to hear the voice of God, that's the way that he's most obviously provided for us to walk with him and grow with him. We will not grow. Commanding scripture then, uh, of course we need to be soaking ourselves in order to hear God, not just fill our heads with knowledge. Compelling spirits as good charismatics that embraces all of those things which are the ways that God speaks, but in different ways, through nature, through prophetic voices, through words of knowledge, through the, those inner rumblings, through things that we encounter, all of that stuff. Common sense embraces just our intelligence, our rational faculties, uh, things that we know. Uh, the way that our education helps us, things that, that we're told, and so on. Our preferences even, our gifts, our passions. 
our experience, all of that comes into shaping the, who we are and how we make decisions. Circumstances, of course they do. There's a job vacancy, that's a circumstance, and it may, may present an opportunity to, to, you know, for, to step into something that might be God's will for us, or there's a school place for your child, or an opportunity, whatever it is. I haven't got time to elaborate any of those. But if we're going to grow in our confidence, that God wants us to have confidence in our decision-making, all of these things will matter very much. We need to keep, continue to immerse our, ourselves and our prayer life in them. But it's the last, the last uh, CS of the five I just want to dwell on just for a moment or two. And it's really challenging. And you might remember that it stands for the Council of the Saints. Again, slightly old-fashioned language. Saints, don't, don't, don't be confused. Remember, saint is not some super-Christian. It's all of us. Hagioi means set-apart ones, holy ones, those who have been set apart for the purposes of God. Is that because we've done something special? No, it's because God has imputed his goodness and righteousness to us. So we are all Hagioi. We are all, we're all saints. We're the community of the saints. So the council of the saints, decision-making as a follower of Jesus forming the mind of Christ in us, being kingdom-minded, walking with God, making choices by cooperating as much as we can for as much time as we can with the Creator's instructions is never or not, I won't say never, it's not a solo activity. It is not a solo activity. It requires humbly submitting myself again and again and again to others. It involves other people in the economy of God. It really does. And this is quite challenging. Of course, I'm not talking about every decision. I am talking about more meaningful decisions. All through the Bible, through lots of Christian history, in many other Christian cultures, we see this principle being worked out really, really effectively and obviously. I'm less convinced that we see it being worked out effectively and obviously in our own particular culture in quite the way that God intends. God is a God of community. We have to remember this. He himself operates in community. No time to do a theology of the Trinity. It's pretty complicated and I couldn't do it. I'll leave it to somebody more qualified. But he himself operates in community and he certainly invites us into community. That's why, for example, you can't baptize yourself. If you realize that, it's why when uh, heal, miraculous supernatural healing happens, by and large, it happens at the hands of somebody. We sometimes celebrate, gosh, this person was healed in worship, even without any kind of prayer, as if that was a better kind of healing. Well, it's amazing. All healing is God's healing. But actually, the way that God has designed it is that we bless one another. His love to us, his power, his grace, and so on, comes to us through the hands of each other so very often because it's a community thing few scriptures beyond all of the one another's we focused quite a few times in recent months on the one another's the this sense of community and how, how others are involved in who we are and who we're becoming and how we're choosing and making choices but here are some challenging bits Ephesians 5:21. submit to one another we haven't heard that one another for a while have we well maybe you have I haven't submit think about it submit to one another. Not just consider the other person kind of equal or whatever. Submit. Strong word. It means what we think it means, by the way. There's no hidden Greek meaning here. <laughs> 1 Peter 5, in a longer passage on this, I haven't got time to read all these scriptures this morning now. In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, 
clothe yourselves with humility, or in some translations, submit yourselves actually to one another. A couple of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 12, 15. I've got a long list here, I'll just read two. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise person listens to counsel. 19, listen to counsel and accept instruction that you might gain wisdom for your future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. There's one in Ecclesiastes, quite like this one, Ecclesiastes 4.13. Better is a poor and wise young person than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take advice. This is really massive. And by the way, uh, let's challenge ourselves a bit. Let's allow the full force of this. This is not just about go, taking advice. This is not just about just occasionally when I can't do it myself, I'm just going to go and get a bit of advice. No, submitting to one another in community is much more than that. So here's the more focused point for today that I'd love us to chew about. I'll, I'll say a few things about it, but then this is for you to, to take away, as always, frankly, and chew, disagree if you like, but chew it with God. That making decisions, God wants us to be confident in making our decisions. They run our life. Part of that is acknowledging that the way that he's made us is perfect, and so we need to accord as best we can with his design. So this needs to be intentionality. And part of that means making decisions under covering and in community. It's a phrase I felt God give me to, to leave us from 1 Peter, from Ephesians, and so on. Making decisions under covering. Covering as a kind of protection, if you like. And in community. And I wonder as I say that, how you're already beginning to process your, your decision making and how, to what extent this feels true for you and in what areas of your life this feels true and in what areas of your life uh, God might be challenging us just a little bit. Submit to elders, by the way. That's the covering part. Unfashionable thing to say in context. This is those who are elders are those who are older in years because there is something that simply cannot be gained in wisdom other than through some years of experience as we get older. No, not defined in, in, in age, but older, elders. It also implies wisdom, spiritually, spiritual wisdom. Why? Because they've traveled the hard road with God for a, a, an amount of time. So they've learned some stuff. They've grown in some particular ways. They've changed. They may or may not have formal leadership roles or titles within the body of the church family. That's not really the point. They're certainly not perfect. Let's ditch that idea. Otherwise, nobody gets qualified. But it doesn't take a lot of discernment to recognize that an elder, elders that the Bible is talking about here, under whom we're to place ourselves, and especially when we take decisions to be undercovering, are those who have an authentic, personal relationship with God. There's a whole bunch of other things we could probably add to that. But that's the starting point. And actually, most things then flow from that. fruit of the Spirit is evident in, in their lives so that you can trust that their heart is for God and for his people and therefore for you if these are folk under whose covering you choose to sit. So I'm just going to ask you, who are those people in your life? Who is that person in your life? Who are those people? What would this mean for you? Submit to elders. Who, who, who is that for you? I cannot tell you in my own life how important this has been over the years. Uh, a number of key people, a variety of people, uh, and we might at some points call them a mentor or a coach or a spiritual parent or a church leader or whatever. 
Um, formerly, of course, as a clergyman within the Church of England, I have a certain amount of covering, uh, and I'm grateful for it from in diocesan formal structures and bishops and people like that. But I'm talking more personally, I guess, those under whose covering I've, I've chosen to place myself in particular conversations. There's somebody I'm, I see who's kind enough to see me four times a year, and um, I submit myself to that man. I take his advice. He is a wise counsellor and I'm trying to pay heed to submitting, even when I might disagree with him. On the other end of that, by the way, complete honour and privilege and, and responsibility when it works the other way around, and, and some folk might come and see somebody like me or, or Andrew or, or, or you if you act in this way for people. It's a wonderful thing, and it's not about being perfect. It's certainly not about having all the answers or being right. It's just a joy to help people to wrestle and, and to listen and to chew and to pray and to pass on whatever insight or wisdom that, that there might be from God over the years. Just interesting, uh, occasionally, when somebody, though, who comes to ask for counsel in this particular way, and actually what they want is just for me to agree with them. Actually what they want is that they've worked out what the conclusion is, they've worked out what they want to do, they've worked out um, that this is the, they just want that rubber stamp by somebody so that it kind of affirms where that's not submitting yourself. Just need to say that. Um, could tell a story about that uh, in quite recent times here, but I'm not sure I've got time. It, just imagine the story of a, of a young man coming in that particular mode uh, and just wrestling, but actually wanting me to authenticate his not taking responsibility for his life, essentially. Uh, and, and we wrestled with it, and I gave him what I, in love what best I could. Um, but he'd come with his conclusion, and he didn't like mine. And he's left, and he's in big trouble at the moment, that young man. He's in big, big trouble at the moment. It's not gone well for him. I wonder how resistant we are to loving challenge or to uh, different perspectives in this kind of um, scenario. I can think of, actually with Hills, uh, many years ago, a different church of a young woman who came to us uh, asking around uh, uh, whether to go out with this, she was processing whether to go out with a, a particular chap. And um, we came to the conclusion, having listened and prayed and, and so on, that it wasn't a great choice for her to make. And there were two or three other Christian couples who had said the same thing. And, um, but she chose to, to ignore that. She, came, she wasn't under the covering, as it were, of um, the elders at that point. And she went out with this guy for three years, and then it ended badly. Um, and both of them left with considerable regrets. This is, then the rubber hits the road with some of this stuff, doesn't it? It really does. Some of us might be thinking, what happens if the council of the elders is wrong, though? Isn't that open to all kinds of kind of abuse and, and all of that? Well, I'm going to tread sensitively and carefully and we could have a longer conversation. I am not advocating throwing away our own discernment. I'm not suggesting we hand our responsibility for our own decisions to, to somebody else. But let's not, not let ourselves off the hook too quickly here in this. By the way, not just with elders, but in the in-community bit too. Because I think this is exactly in the kind of area where the Bible challenges us, this notion of submitting. It can't just mean, it cannot just mean only when I agree, only when it suits me, only when they agree with me, only when they get it right. I don't believe that that's biblical submission in this sense. And here is the great thing, and this is the beautiful bit in the midst of the challenge. In God's kingdom, it's so rarely about being right or wrong. It's the very act of obedience, in this case, the very act of choosing to submit, of choosing to be vulnerable, of choosing humbly to present myself and my stuff and my decision-making for examination by somebody else. 
in community, life group, for example, or whoever, this, whoever the equivalent is for you right now, let alone elders, undercovering and in community. I'm not really distinguishing them too much. It's the very act of doing that that invites the grace of God. It really is. That's, where the, that's, where, that's For me, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's the trust bit. Otherwise, I'm just going to be judge and jury all of the time. And I'm only going to uh, do this when I'm, I'm, convi- I'm going to rationalize. They're right, they're wrong, da da da, da. The, the very act of submission is the thing that invites the grace of God. So when I was going out with Hills 30, 31 years ago last summer, um, there were a bunch of people with whom I was in community and to whom I was happy to, to submit these kinds of decisions. And they said, we don't think you're doing the right thing going out with Hills. And therefore, with quite a heavy heart and a slightly conflicted heart, I dumped Hills. <laughs> I broke up with my precious Hills. I did. And it was pretty painful. And as it turns out, as you will know, I've come to believe that actually their counsel, as well meant as it was, as lovingly intended as it was, was completely wrong. I think it was completely wrong. But I will, I will go to my grave believing that the act of submission on my part, plenty of times when I haven't, by the way, we tell our best stories. <laughs> that, that act of, of submission in that moment invited God's grace into my life. I don't need to tell you how, you know, obviously it worked out, it worked out different and we came to a place where God uh, brought us back together again and we, we heard the Lord uh, in that way and we've been married 30 years. Loads of stuff here, very challenging. Just three particular areas which are challenging and then we're going to pray for each other. There's already a bit of head scratching going on. I know that there is. Uh, trying to sort of pick, pick the holes in the argument and sli- slightly resist this notion of really my decisions in the hands of other people? How, how, just where, where, where do we draw the line here? How, how far do we go with this, Tim? What are you saying? Well, you need to wrestle with the scriptures and not just take my word for it. But I think there's at least three reasons why we, why we find ourselves challenged. Firstly, it's incredibly countercultural. This is really, really countercultural. Kingdom of God stuff is always upside down. Countercultural kingdom, that was the name of a book. Um, we might say, actually, society is upside down and the kingdom's the right way up. But, but you know, um, carry, a, carry a soldier's uh, gear one mile. No, go two. You want to you wanna live? Die. You want to um, have an abundance? Give stuff away. The kingdom is always upside down. Submit to somebody else, says the culture. Are you kidding? This is the 21st century United Kingdom. People have to earn my respect. They have to prove that their advice is any use before I'd even consider asking for it. As for authority, that word is so loaded with all kinds of things. Elders, are you joking? I'm suspicious even of the concept. So what am I saying? I'm saying independence is the heart of our culture. And it's so not the culture of the kingdom. And we miss this again and again and again and again and again. So if that's the culture out there, the culture of, of, of independence, which is celebrated, of individualism and so on, it's the self-made person who is celebrated and all of that then we need to recognize that that, that that is so, be aware of it, alert to it, and recognize that the kingdom of God is completely different. But not surprisingly, some of the culture of independence does come into the church. And we might say, yeah, 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 the culture out there is independent and individual, but hey, we're, we're church together and we do community. Well, we do, but we also stress individualism quite often, don't we? Remember that virtually every you, Y-O-W, in the Bible, in the New Testament, is a plural one not an individual one. We read stuff so individually. So it can be, can't it, all about me and God. So even as I've been talking this morning, you've been thinking about your decision-making, you've been thinking, yeah, but I pray about it. 
great. Um, we need to. Um, so, and, but me and God get, get along just fine. So we, we, it's not that I don't pray. It's not that I'm totally independent. It's just that me and God are, are doing this together. And I don't really need you. Or if I do, I'll come to you when I, when I choose to. Friends, I have to say that is not the culture of the kingdom that the Bible gives us. This in-community undercovering pervades everything. And it requires close connection. It requires working at that thing called fellowship and so on that we speak about quite often. In all kinds of areas of decision-making, so just let me throw out, where do you go for your parenting advice when you need it? Where do you get how to be a better parent from? Or grandparent, for that matter. Or, or working on your marriage, if you're married. Or how you grow as a godly friend to your friends. Or how are you making choices with regards to your finances. How do you approach decisions relating to job or your studies, if you're studying, or your future. Who do you process these things with? And does that look like submission, by the way? Submit to one another. Does it look like there's covering for those things? Regularly? All the time? Never? Sometimes? On a blue moon? <laughs> I'm speaking to myself, I'm, I'm allowing us to be challenged in all of this. Is it just me and God? Is it the internet forums? Is that where we go? Just the latest kind of secular advice on these things? The, the, the latest kind of parenting fad, whatever that is. So many applications, need to think through them. Then finally, pride, fear, unbelief. The pride that says, I'm the best person to make decisions. Thanks very much. I don't need or want others involved, or at least I'll decide on what terms I'll involve them. That's the pride that lurks there. The fear, if I invite somebody into this, they'll, they'll see what lurks in here, and I can't afford for that to happen because I'm pretty ashamed, actually. If they, if they got too close, they'd discover some stuff that wouldn't look very nice. And the unbelief that says, I'm not sure I can trust God enough, either directly or even through the wisdom or counsel of, 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 or contribution of anybody else. That sounds like surrendering way too much control, and I'd rather, I'd rather hang on to that control. Thanks very much. Pride, fear, unbelief. They, that's what lies beneath almost every sin, isn't it? Pride, fear, unbelief. So, obvious challenge for us, but good news for us too. He is such a loving father. God is so loving. He is so wanting to bless us. He so wants us to succeed. He so wants life to go well for us. He invites us then to walk with him. What a beautiful image. Let's continue to dwell on it in all of its richness. He invites us to walk with him. He says, I'll walk with you. And part of that walking is drawing near then, isn't it? It's receiving fresh grace to trust him and to surrender ourselves to his ways of doing things, to his gentle transforming of our, of our mind, which then changes so much, of our hearts, which changes so much, being confident then in our decision-making, cooperating with the creator, coming under covering, submitted in close community with other people. Why? So that we know that blessing that he wants to pour out and so that we can be blessings to others.